listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're going to be talking about uh, six reasons why your faith isn't working. Six biblical reasons why your faith is not working. You know, faith can be stopped. Faith can be hindered. There are certain things that can hinder uh, your faith or stop it from working. Bible teaches that. And um, we want, of course, we know faith is the element that allows us to please God. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that um, faith is the element that the kingdom of God functions on. Or you could say it this way, faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. In fact, that would be a great way to start the broadcast. Put it in the comment section. Faith is the currency in the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And uh, the Bible talks about this, that without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God. And they that come to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So without faith, you can't please him, meaning it takes faith to please him. And, and so that means that we have to find the way to operate in faith on a daily basis if we're going to please God on a daily basis. And so um, everybody, you know, there's one of the questions that I'll have on the road, people come to the altar and they'll say things like, you know, why, why do you think my prayers aren't being answered? Or why do you think I haven't seen a breakthrough yet? Or why do you think uh, my miracles haven't manifested or whatever, you, you know, poses the question in many different ways. But you have to, you have to answer that question from scripture. And so today we're going to be answering that question from scripture. Uh, why is it that my faith may not be working? And so I'm going to give you six things from scripture and show you how faith can be uh, short circuited, if you will, how faith can be stopped. And so we'll start um, in Galatians chapter five and um, good morning, Lenan. Good morning, Aaron. Um, faith again is the currency of the kingdom of God. So what, what things can stop your faith from working? What things can stop your, your prayers that can hinder your miracles? What things can actually short circuit your faith? So we're starting. Good morning, Ben. Love you, man. Galatians chapter five. And uh, I'm going to start reading with, um, verse five of Galatians five. And the Bible says this for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus. This is verse six for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see that faith working through love. And so one of the things that we, understand right off the bat is that love is the thing that causes your faith to function. 
So love, without love, your faith does not function. In fact, this is a very interesting thought process. You go to 1 John and you start studying what uh, John wrote to the churches regarding love. And um, if love is not functioning, whether that be love for God, love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, even love for those that are potential brothers and sister, sisters in Christ. Did you know the Bible says that you cannot hate your brother and say that you love God? The Bible says anyone who hates their brother and says that they love God is a liar and the love of God is not in them. So remember this, God is love, right? The Bible teaches us that God is love. So, so watch now, the moment you step out of love, you're stepping out of God, stepping out of his nature, out of his character. If you come out of love, then you are stepping out of God, out of his nature, out of his character. And so when the Bible tells us now, faith works by love. So notice faith is the only thing that can please God, but God is love. So faith has to work through love in order to function properly. Why do you think that the devil comes at your love walk so hard? Why do you think he tries to get you out of walking in love so hard? It's because the enemy knows that if he can stop your love walk, then he can cancel or hinder your faith from working. Faith has to work through love. And so, uh, you have challenges every day. We all face something on a daily basis where we could step out of walking in love and step into whether that be bitterness, whether that is uh, quarreling, holding a grudge against people. Uh, it could just be jealousy. It could be strife. It could be envy. It could be any of these things. Stepping out of love, you know, it becomes gossiping, whatever, bearing false witness. So what is bearing false witness? That's lying about your brothers and sisters. You know, I taught on this in another, uh, in one of the books that I uh, wrote uh, entitled Further Faster, that how amazing is this thought? People say, well, I would never lie about my brothers and sisters. I would never lie about somebody. But what about when you are spreading rumors or gossip about somebody that you don't even know whether those things are true or not? So you could inadvertently lie about your brother or sister because you were spreading gossip about them that you don't even know. It's unsubstantiated. You have no proof of whether or not it's true. It's just secondhand information. Maybe somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody told you something about someone and you started telling people about it. Well, gossip can easily turn into um, bearing false witness or lying about your brothers and sisters. What if the person that told you got it wrong? What if they heard the wrong thing from the wrong source? What if that thing never actually happened, but you said it anyway because you heard it from somebody and now you're not just gossiping, but now you're actually lying about your brother and sister and bearing false witness against your neighbor. So it's a dangerous and a slippery slope, but these things all play into not walking in love right? You can't be bitter 
against people. You can't hold grudges. You can't be angry at them. You can't uh, hate them for sure. You can't lie about them. You can't. So notice these things. And we have opportunities on a daily basis to get into our flesh and to treat people in a way that Jesus would not treat them. And really, if you want to know the truth about it, stepping out of the fruit of the spirit, stepping out of the fruit of the spirit. And so that's the key. Staying in the fruit of the spirit, love being the the primary that we're talking about. Um, We've called this before the fruit of the spirit, the personality traits of Jesus Christ. That's one way to look at the fruit of the spirit. They are the personality traits of Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the personality traits of Jesus. And when you uh, align yourself, when you submit yourself to the fruit of the spirit, you're truly submitting yourself to the uh, character of God and the nature of Christ. And that's why if you've heard me teach on here before that you've heard me say that though love is the greatest of all, right? And Paul said that he said, faith, hope, and love will endure forever. But the greatest of these is love. Let me break that down again. Paul said to the Corinthian church, faith, hope, and love will endure forever. But the greatest of these is love. So at first glance, we might look at the fruit of the spirit and say, well, the greatest fruit of the spirit is love. As, especially as Paul said, the greatest of these is love. But you've heard me teach on the broadcast before that I believe the most important of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. The, the last one. Because remember this, all of the fruit of the spirit are choices that you have to make. All of them. Love is a choice. Remember that. Joy is a choice. Peace is a choice. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. These are all choices. But if you never have self-control, if you're never able to uh, submit yourself to the word of God in that way, it doesn't matter how much you want to love people. If you don't have self-control, you'll never walk in, in love with people. See, because here's the thing. What does it matter if you walk in love with the people that are nice to you? <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Sinners can do that. You, only, you walk in love with people that are close to you. Well, sinners can do that. What is the Bible actually calling out to us to do? What about those that spitefully use you, one translation says. What about those that, are, uh, that hate you? What about those that um, work against you, talk against you? Can you, still, um, can you still walk in love toward that person? Well, what's that going to require? Self-control. Self-control. Um, Britt asks the question in the comments, isn't it true that culturally... Lists of things in biblical times put emphasis on the first and last thing listed. I actually don't have any um, uh, knowledge of that. I can look it up, but I've not found that in anything that I've studied. But you might be right. You might be right. And so uh, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because if you looked at the fruit of the spirit list, you would see love first. 
and you would see self-control last. So if that was the case, then of course the emphasis would be on love and self-control as Paul's teaching the Galatians. And so um, if you do have any information on that, Brit, send it over to me because I'd like to read it. That's really interesting. And so the self, self-control, I believe, is the most important being that all of the fruit of the Spirit are decisions that the believer is required to make. You know that. You, you, don't, you don't automatically start walking in love when you get saved. <laughs> in fact, I'm sure you've met people that uh, have been saved for years that have not been walking in love with you. And so it doesn't automatically happen. It doesn't automatically take place. It's something that you have to submit yourself to the Holy Ghost and obey the word of God and control the flesh nature. What did Paul say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. Probably one of the most uh, important verses for the believer that is that desires to walk in the spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 9:27. In fact, I'll read you verses 24 through 27. Listen to what Paul said here. Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or reward, but we an imperishable wreath. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Look at verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The original Greek says this, I pummel my body and make it a slave. Look at that. I pummel my body and make it a slave. What does that mean? He's saying that there's someone else that is the master over my carnal nature. There's someone else. Well, two things. Number one, you've been empowered to master the carnal nature, right? Every Christian has been empowered to master the carnal nature. In fact, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter six, and he said, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Hallelujah. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. So you're not a slave to sin anymore. The Bible teaches no, no. But now, in fact, if you read John, you read Paul, what did they say? I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a, he's my master. He's my Lord. In fact, the Bible says we don't even belong to ourselves. Did you know that? The Bible says you're not your own. You're not, you don't belong to you. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's what the Bible says. Paul again wrote that to the Corinthians. You don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. Amen. I want, I want you to put it in the comments. I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus. That's why it's very interesting. Uh, no Christian, no Christian should ever say my body, my choice. No Christian should ever utter those words. It's not your body. 
It's not your body. That's the first problem with that sentence. My body, my choice. It's not your body. The Bible says you don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus, right? He's your master. He's your Lord. He actually purchased you with his own precious blood. And so if we understand, I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus. Then you don't make statements like my body, my choice. I can do what I want to do with my own, but no, it's not your body. It's the temple of the Holy spirit. And it belongs to Jesus Christ belongs to Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I'm a slave of Christ. John said, I'm a slave of Christ. And that word slave in the Greek doulos, it actually means a bond servant, one who has chosen to stay with his master for the rest of his life. I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus. So I have to glorify God in my body. And the way that you submit yourself, see, you can't do it if you're a sinner because no sinner has control over sin, has no authority over sin. No sinner has authority over sin, but every Christian has authority over sin. Every Christian does. That's why you don't have to live in sin. You can live free from sin. And Paul's saying the way that I do that is that I use Holy Ghost empowered self-control. See, self, true self-control can only come to you if you're empowered by the Holy Ghost. So number one, a lack of love will keep you from uh, seeing your faith working. Number two, as Paul taught, sin. Sin, that's number two, put it in the comments. Sin will stop your faith from working. Sin will stop your faith from functioning. In fact, Romans 14 and verse 23, and by the way, if you're just jumping on, share this broadcast today. Uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, the Bible says sin Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Think about that for a minute. So if it takes faith to please God, just think of it this way. If without faith, there's no way to please God. That means if you're, if, if you, let me say it a different way. If you don't operate or live by faith, then your life is displeasing to God. And if your life is displeasing to God, what is that? Sin. If my life displeases God, what is that? Sin. Sin. Can anything displease God that is not sin? There's only two things you can stand in. Holiness or unholiness. Holiness pleases God. Unholiness which could be as something as small as, um, you know, disobedience to an instruction. You know, it's not like you're robbing a bank. It's not like you're murdering. It's not like you're dealing drugs. It's not, but it could be as simple uh, as disobeying an instruction or ignoring an instruction from the Lord. Say, I'll do my own thing. Well, that's, that's sin. Because if you disobey a command you got from the Lord, that's sin. And so think of it this way. Anything that does not proceed from faith, anything that does not come out of faith is sinful and sin will stop your faith from working. So look at their, how they're opposed to each other. Faith, sin. If it's not of faith, it's sin. If it's not of faith, it's sin. If it's not of love, it's not of faith. See, so these things domino together. It's like a domino effect. 
And the devil tries to get you out of love. The devil tries to get you out of holiness, out of obedience. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want your faith to work. He doesn't want your faith to work. And so uh, what does not proceed from faith is sin. And sin will stop your faith from working. That's number two. Number three. Oh man, let's go to James four again. Let's go to James four. I, I think, I think you know where this is headed. This is a big one because man, are people tempted to walk in this? Look now, James chapter four and verse six, the Bible says, but God gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud. Look at that. And gives more grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. So, so look at this. God is actually opposing the proud. So pride will cancel your faith from working. When you walk in pride, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. Look what happened to Lucifer. He was filled with pride and God ejected him from heaven, stripped him of his ability to serve God and cast him out of he heavenly places along with all of the angels that had pride and followed him. I'll be like the most high God. I will sit on the throne. I will ascend into the heavens. God said, you won't and ejected him from heaven immediately. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So isn't it interesting to you that uh, meekness or humility is the obviously opposite end of the spectrum of pride and arrogance, but pride and arrogance drag you down into destruction. But the Bible says meekness and humility, God exalts you. God will exalt you. So if you walk in meekness, if you walk in humility, God will grab hold of you by his mighty right hand and lift you up himself. He will exalt you. If you humble yourself, he will exalt you. What does the Bible say in Matthew 5 and verse 5? It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So inheritance is tied to meekness. Get that in your spirit. Inheritance is tied to meekness, to humility. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let, let me read you two things that really struck, struck me about uh, humility. I was going through the Old Testament and um, came, came across two scriptures. And um, look at this. First scripture is Numbers 12, 3. Listen to this. Numbers 12, 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the surface of the earth. So let's stop there for a second. Look what the Bible's telling us. Moses was extremely humble and meek, more than any other person on the faith, face of the earth. Let that sink in. 
No one was more humble than Moses, according to scripture. Nobody. All right. So we jump back from Numbers 12, 3 to look at this. Exodus 11, verse 3. Exodus 11 and verse 3. Still talking about Moses. Let's tie these two together. No one was more humble or meek than Moses. But look at what the Bible says in Exodus 11, 3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the, in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. You see that Exodus 11, three, and the man Moses was very great, very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of all the people. So even in a place where, uh, he would be opposed, he's one of God's people in the land of their enemies. And it didn't matter. Doesn't that blow your mind? It did not matter that he was one of God's people in the land of his enemies, God's favor came upon him. What caused that? Well, number one, he was the meekest man in all of the earth. And his humility, his meekness, his willingness to be used by God, God put favor upon him. And the Bible says that he was very great in the land of Egypt. That's not the promised land. That's his enemy's land. Very great, even in opposition, Pharaoh's servants saw him as great and all the people saw him as great. So his greatness came from God, but that, that was provoked by his humility and his meekness. Hallelujah. Meekness is the key to greatness. I want you to put that in the comments. Meekness is the key to greatness. Meekness is the key to greatness. And if there's not a humility on your life, if there's not a meekness on your life it, and there's arrogance and pride instead, it will hinder, it will hinder your faith from working. And that's number three. It will hinder your faith from working. So a lack of love, a lack of uh, holiness and a lack of humility. These three things will stop your faith from working. God can't bless arrogance. God can't bless pride. He can't do it. He opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives more grace, more favor to the humble. Hallelujah. More to the humble. Let's keep going. We're halfway through. Number four, what is the fourth thing that will stop your faith from working? Number four is natural sight. Put it in the comments, natural sight. Hallelujah. Good morning, Virginia and Tim. Love you guys. Um, natural sight will stop your faith from working. So if we go to second Corinthians chapter five, I want to show you this from scripture here. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seven, the Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You see that? They're opposed to each other. A lot of people think that the opposite of faith is doubt. 
The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. The Bible doesn't say we walk by faith and not by doubt. No, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight, natural sight, almost all of the time is directly opposed to supernatural faith. People look at what they see in the natural realm. It shakes their faith and then they become or they get into a place where they can't receive from God because they allow what they see to govern their expectation versus what the Bible said. And I don't care if that's something they saw on the news. I don't care if it's something they got uh, as uh, a diagnosis from a doctor, something they saw in the culture. It doesn't matter. People see things taking place in the natural world and they put their expectation on that versus what the word of God already says. And that's the mistake. That's what stops your faith from functioning, right? That is what stops your faith from functioning. And so many times what we have to remind ourselves is that we don't go by what we see. We don't go by what we see. In fact, put that in the comments. I don't make decisions based on what I see in the natural. I don't make decisions based on what I see in the natural realm. I'll show you. Look at this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. And I want to show you this happening in scripture. Faith was working, but all of a sudden sight took over. And when sight took over, faith stopped working. Mm. Faith was working and all of a sudden sight took over and then sight stopped faith from working. Look at this. I'm going to show you. The Bible says in Matthew 14, um, Verse 25, we'll start there. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to his disciples walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. Look at now, look at verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now we could stop there, but look at this. He didn't just walk on the water. He didn't just walk on the water. The Bible says as he came to Jesus, that was his faith functioning, but then something shifted. Something changed. Look at it. The Bible says, but, verse 30, when he saw, you see that, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Notice that the moment that his emotions were changed by what he saw, the Bible says he began to sink. His faith immediately stopped working when his sight kicked in and he put 
more um, stock, if you will, in what he saw than what Jesus said. Jesus said, come to me. Do you think Jesus' plan for Peter was that he come out, drown in the water, sink and drown during a storm? No. So what happened? Peter went by what he saw and then began to put more faith or stock in what he saw in the natural than what Jesus had just said to him. And the moment he shifted that, he started to sink. The very moment he went by what he saw, he began to diminish. The very moment. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? So notice he started in faith and then began to doubt. Oh man, do you see it? What caused him to doubt what he saw in the natural realm? You see it? What he saw in the natural realm. That's why I've been laughing. I've been laughing when I see, you know, these reports uh, like, like I made fun of from the, in the winter from the White House. Expect, expect a winter filled with sickness and disease and the hospitals that you will fill. Well, you know, you're not in charge of my healing covenant. I don't care what specialist comes out and says, I don't care if it's the CDC, the WHO, I don't care who it is. It doesn't matter to me. You can tell me to expect sickness all I want. I'm not expecting sickness. I expect health. I expect strength. I expect healing. Why? It's my portion. It's my covenant. I don't expect to get sick with everybody else. It's ridiculous. Who put the White House uh, press secretary in charge of my healing covenant? Nobody. Jesus is in charge of my healing covenant. And he's never once in his word told me to expect sickness, expect disease, expect to fill hospitals. Foolishness. And we don't have to receive that nonsense. So just because you say, well, there's a spike. Brother, there's a spike in my region. I don't know. Things are, I'm going to start... So I'm, I'm telling you, same thing's happening now. They're talking about people going back to masks. Ridiculous. You won't see me in one. Well, we're having another spike, brother. I know people want to pretend like it's not still here, but it's still here. I'm, I'm telling you, get ready. I don't know what's going to happen in the fall. We've got food shortages coming. Not me. Not you. I don't care what the natural realm says. I'm not going by sight. Sight doesn't govern my, my blessings. Sight doesn't govern my covenant. And I'm not going to allow my sight to put me into doubt and my faith stops working. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen in Jesus name. Amen. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. So sight can stop your faith. That's it, Tanya. Declare it. I shall not lack. Either the Lord's my shepherd or he's not my shepherd. And if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. You say, well, brother, brother Ted, how come, you know, if the Lord's our shepherd as Christians, he's all of our shepherd. That's true. So if, if he's all of our shepherd, how come some Christians do lack and others don't? Because you forget one piece of the puzzle. You actually have to follow the shepherd. Sheep don't go off and do their own thing. Sheep aren't allowed to go off and do their own thing. If they are, they're responsible for their own, finding their own green pastures finding their own still waters, restoring their own souls, right? Finding the own, their own anointing oil to anoint their head with oil and all, all that. Find your own. If you, if you go out from under the shepherd, you're responsible for it yourself. So there's people, as I said earlier, there are people who literally won't re receive or listen to the instructions of the Lord for their life 
And so they say, well, the Lord's my shepherd. Yeah, but do you follow the shepherd or do you not? Do you obey or do you not obey? Are you led or are you not led? Just because the Lord is the great shepherd doesn't mean that every one of the sheep are following the shepherd. I know that's mind blowing to people, but the I will not lack part is the understood uh, part of the phrase here is that the shepherd is leading you and you're following the shepherd. Amen. Amen. And so we're not going to go by what we see. Let me give you number five. Number five. The fifth thing that'll stop your faith from working is double-mindedness. Jump back to James 1. We're going back to the book of James. James chapter 1. Double-mindedness will stop your faith from working. Double-mindedness will stop your faith from working. Look at this. The Bible says, uh, I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 8. You ready? Um, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now look at this, verse 8. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What should he expect to receive from the Lord? Nothing, the Bible says. He must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So ask in faith with no doubting. I'm not mixing faith and doubt. I'm not mixing faith and sight. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, have a, a mixture in my spirit. Well, I know God can, but did you see what happened? I know God's able, but did you hear about what's coming in the, I'm not being, I'm not gonna be one of those people. And you've met, you've met them. You've been around them. I mean, throw a hand up in the comments. If you know what I'm talking about, you've been around people that talk like that in church. Well, you know, I believe God can brother, but you know, did you hear what they said's coming in the fall? You know, I know God's able, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, bro. I know, I know he's able, but man, I don't, I mean, did you see what they said? They said's about to hit America. I mean, the supply chains and the trucks. Did you, you've, you've met people like that. You know, people that talk like that. What are they doing? They're mixing faith and doubt, mixing faith and sight. Well, I know, brother, I, listen, I know more than anybody, God's able. I mean, he can do it. There's nothing he cannot accomplish. But did you, there, there's always that but in there. There's always that but where they just flip it and start talking what you see in the natural, doubt and unbelief. You can't receive anything from the Lord that way. You can't receive anything from the Lord that way. You have to stay in faith, the Bible says, with no doubting. Do I doubt that my God's able to provide for me? No. Do I doubt that he's able to heal me? No. Do I, do I doubt that he's able to keep me in perfect health? No. Do I doubt that he's able to protect my family? No. That's right. Britt said, my dad always said the word, the word but negates everything in front of the word, what you just spoke. You say all that stuff about how much you trust God. And then you say, but, and the but negates everything you just said about God. Well, I know he's able, but. I know he can do it for us, but why would we, why would we talk like that? Our God is high above all. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the great physician. He's El Shaddai. He's the provider, Jehovah Jireh. He's your peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's your righteousness, Jehovah Sitkanu. He's your banner of victory. I mean, come on. Why would we doubt? Why would we doubt in any capacity? We've got to fill ourselves with faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hallelujah. The word of God. I sang it last night under the tent. Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah has the final say. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that, the only buts that I listen to is when God, when God speaks. Oh yeah, I flip it. All that's going on, the, on in the world. Oh, there's lack coming. There's shortage coming. But I'm the Lord, your God that provides. I am your shepherd. Oh yeah. Sickness is sweeping through your, your nation, but I am the Lord that heals you. I am the great physician. Those are the only ones. I, I was listening, uh, the late pastor, Mike Hankins, who I loved. Uh, and he said this, I wish I'd have met him sooner in my life. I love pastor Mike. And he said, he preached a message one time about people. You get all these reports from the world. You get all these diagnoses, all these different things that are happening. He preached a message called God's got big butts and he does not lie. <laughs> I love it. It doesn't matter what the doctor said, what the lawyer said, what the, uh, you know, the culture is saying, what the economy is saying, what the white house is saying. God can always give you a word that will turn that whole situation around. When God says, but doesn't matter, doesn't matter what's going on. Oh, they said it's, they said it's cancer, except for the fact that you've got the great physician on your side. You've got Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals you on your side. So there's something higher than facts. You know what it is? Truth. Truth trumps facts. Truth, facts can change. The truth remains the same. Facts can change. Truth remains the same the same. I want to give you the final one today. And that is this, the, the final thing that keeps people's faith from functioning is feelings of unworthiness. This is big in the body of Christ, guilt, shame, unworthiness. Go to Hebrews chapter four. We're going to read this final passage together. I'm going to show you this this is why the devil works so hard to try to uh, keep you in a place of feeling unworthy, feeling uh, the shame of your past, thinking of yourself in a way that Christ never designed you to think. This is why it is so vital that every Christian get a hold of new creation realities, who you are in Christ, not who you used to be, who you are now under your new creation identity. Now that I've been recreated, now that I'm a child of God, now that I'm part of the body of Christ, I'm in him. I'm in Christ. What does that mean? Everything has changed. That's what second Corinthians five seventeen says. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature and behold, all th old things have passed away and behold, all things, old things are dead and gone. Behold, all things have become new. Every single thing about your life is new in Christ. And until we get that, until we get that, 
We still remember the problems of the past, the shame of the past, the guilt of the past, what happened in our past. And people, there's some people that never get free from it and they're still battling in their mind what went on in their past, even though Jesus redeemed them from it and recreated them and set them in the body of Christ. So this, these feelings of unworthiness will destroy your faith. They'll destroy your faith. And here's why. Hebrews 4.16, the Bible says, um, let us then with confidence, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See that that we might find mercy, receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So notice how we receive mercy and grace to help. How do we get grace to help from God? Notice what we do. We approach his throne boldly. Glory to God. We approach his throne boldly. What does that mean? It means you, and, and here's why unworthiness and guilt, shame, all of that is so deadly to your faith is because it will prevent you from boldly approaching the throne. Get that. Shame, guilt, inadequacy, feelings of unworthiness prevent you from boldly approaching the throne. You won't. Because you know what will happen? The devil will say, well, what business do you have asking God for that blessing? What business do you have asking God for that healing? You're not worthy of that. You're filthy. Look at all you've done in your life. Look at all you've gone through and all you, look at all the things that, that have happened in you. And then you sit there and think about who you used to be. You sit there and think about all of the mistakes of your past, by the way, which Jesus has already redeemed you from and forgiven you of. But the devil loves to remind you. And so people sit there and think about it. And they, oh, I mean, that's true. I, I'm not worthy to receive anything from God. I've made too many mistakes. And he probably doesn't even love me anymore. People think like that. Because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And I'm telling you, one of his uh, biggest ongoing tasks is to continue to accuse you of things that Jesus already forgave you of and removed and redeemed you from, remove them from your life. The Bible says that the, that the Lord has removed your sins from you as far as the East is from the West. That's infinitely. He has infinitely removed your sins from your life. Not only that, he casts them into a sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. So here's the question I always ask people. If God forgot it, why are you remembering it? That'd be a great thing to put in the comments. If God forgot it, why are you remembering it? Hallelujah. If God forgot it, why am I remembering it? I don't need to be dwelling on something God already forgave me for and forgot himself. And I'm still here sitting around thinking about it. And as a result, it's changed my nature into guilt, shame, inadequacy, unworthiness. Now I don't even know if I should pray. Now I don't even know if I should ask him for anything. I don't even know if I should. Oh, I mean, what, what business do I have asking God? That's exactly how the devil wants you to think. That's exactly how the devil wants you to think. 
What business do you have asking God? What business do you have? Uh, one, will God heal me? Will God bless me? Will God protect me? Will God lift my family up? Will God restore my relationships with my children and my grandchildren, my wife? My... That's what the devil wants you to think. That no, God doesn't want to help you anymore because of how uh, filthy your life used to be. No, that's a lie. That's the whole reason we got saved. <laughs> Jesus came and recreated us by his power, by his glory. Hallelujah. You're not the same. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus and old things have passed away. And behold, I like that word behold. We don't really use it anymore, but it, it, it means take a look, take a look. Take a look and, and it's focus on this. Behold, take a look. All things have become new. All things, everything has been made new. And so now you're not dependent. Think about how powerful this is. Now I'm not depending on my old righteousness, which Isaiah said is like filthy rags. I'll say this again even though it's a little bit gross, but it's what the Bible says. So I'm going to say it. Uh, really what Isaiah is saying there is your righteousness. I mean, it gets translated filthy rags. It actually means used menstrual cloths. Your righteousness is like used menstrual cloths. If you go back to the law of Moses, you'll know that any woman that was going through that time of the month was declared unclean until that period had ended and now she would come back in and be cleansed and, and declared clean again and could enter back into society and interact with anybody. She was declared unclean under the law of Moses. Isaiah was using that to show us that our righteousness, what we are in and of ourselves, is like unclean. It's as unclean as it could be. He said, your righteousness cannot save you. Your righteousness cannot help you. It is as unclean and uh, um, disqualifying as can be. So now, watch this. Now, we're not depending on our righteousness. But let's, I think we should finish with one of the most powerful verses. Look at this now. 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 20 and 21. 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 20 and 21, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Listen to this. God made Jesus to be sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become what? The righteousness of God. Hallelujah. So notice the righteousness we have now is righteousness that's been given to us because we are in him. And because we're in him, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Don't forget you're in Christ. Listen, if you call yourself unworthy, if you call yourself unholy, if you call yourself, um, you know, if you live in that shame, guilt, regret, what you have to admit then is that there's a portion of Jesus that is unqualified. There's a portion of Jesus 
who's out of position to receive from God. Because remember, you are in Christ. You are a part of his body. So I don't care if you're the pinky finger on the body of Christ. Are you going to claim today that Christ's pinky finger, a portion of his body is unqualified to be the righteousness of God? Or is the entire body of Jesus Christ the righteousness of God? The entire body is. That's the whole thing. You can't say, I came into the body, but I'm also out of position to be blessed because of my life. No, you're in the body. You're in the body. Hallelujah. And if you are, then you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's, it's like, let me give you an analogy that may not be a perfect analogy, but let me help you understand something. If you get on a train that is headed to New York City, once you get on that train, you can't say, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if I'm qualified to go to New York City. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if, you know, I've, so many things in, in my life have happened. I, I don't even know if, if I'll ever make it to New York City. It's not about you. You went on the train and the train is being made to go to New York City by the conductor, by the system, right? So has nothing to do with where, where you came from, where you woke up that morning, has nothing to do with that. Once you were put on the train, there's no other option but to end up in New York City because you are now, watch, you are in the train. With all those other people, you are in the train. The train is headed somewhere. The train is something. So in the same way that once you were put into Christ, Christ is that vehicle that makes you the righteousness of God. Christ is the vehicle. Once you get put in Christ, right? The Bible says you've been put into Christ. You are his body. And Christ is the head of the body, but we make up the body. Hallelujah. And because of that, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Remember this. I've always tried to teach this to you. Holiness is based on actions you take. Holiness is actions. Righteousness is a position that you stand in. Hallelujah. Righteousness is a position that you stand in. Holiness are the actions you take. Righteousness is the position in which you've been placed. Get that. Remember, you weren't made righteous because of any works. That's the whole point of salvation by grace through faith. You weren't saved by any works. You can be as nice as you can try to obey the Bible as much as you want. But until you receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you're not saved. I don't care how much you try to obey the Bible as a sinner, you're not saved. Doesn't matter if you just refuse to act nasty, if you, if you even try to make the decision, I'm going to walk in love. Doesn't matter. You're not saved by walking in love. You're not saved by going to church. You're not saved by reading the Bible. You're not saved by taking actions. If you were, the Bible says you could boast about your salvation. I earned this through my works. No, you're saved by grace through faith, by grace through faith. So when you, by grace through faith, put your faith in Christ, you get placed in the body of Christ by God, by God. And once you're placed in the body, he made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. He made you the righteousness of God in Christ. And that way, you know, for all time and eternity, I am qualified to boldly approach the throne of grace. 
right? That I might find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. So I don't have to sit here and think, oh, I don't know. I just don't know if I'm, I'm worthy to receive. He made you worthy. He put you on the train. He made you righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Never allow the devil anymore to ever make you feel like you're unworthy, like you don't have what it takes, like you're disqualified from the blessings of God. No, don't let him make you feel that way. If God called you worthy, if God called you righteous, who can call you unrighteous? If God called you righteous, who can call you unrighteous? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you today because I want to see your faith working. I want to see your faith functioning. And as we're here in the last half of the year, our year of divine possession, we'll do what we've never done, go where we've never gone, have what we've never had. And so I want to pray for you today. Father, I pray for every member of the Victory Tribe and all those that are watching and all those that are listening on the podcast. And I ask you, Lord, today that you would use us mightily in these final moments of time. Don't let any of these things today keep our faith from working. Never let us walk by sight and not by faith. Never let us, never let us walk in arrogance and pride, but keep us in humility, Lord, in Jesus' name. Never let us lose our our love walk in Jesus' name. Don't ever let us get outside of walking in love. Don't let us, let, let us submit to the power of sin, but let us walk in holiness. Empower us to live in holiness, taking holy actions, pleasing you with our lives. Lord Jesus, we, we ask you. Lord, I pray that we'd never be double-minded. I pray, Lord, that we'd never be uh, in a place where we don't understand our righteousness and feel unworthy to receive your blessings. Lord, we ask you, keep our faith functional in Jesus' name. Let us see breakthroughs and turnarounds by the end of this year. I pray, Lord, that people that have been believing for miracles, they would quickly manifest by the end of this year in Jesus' name. And I thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for the Victory Tribe. Thank you for the people of God that are faithful to you. As we said yesterday, Lord, we will never fall away in Jesus' name. We're staying on fire by the power of your spirit and through the anointing of your written word. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you receive it, throw some hands up, throw some fire up in the comments section and let the devil know you can't stop my faith from working in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to sow seed today. Now, tonight I'm going to be preaching under the tent at seven o'clock. If you can make it, get here. It's going to be a wonderful night under the tent. And then uh, tomorrow, beginning tomorrow, the Uproar Conference begins in Horseheads, New York. It's a free conference. And uh, we'd love to see you there as well. If you can't make it to the tent, if you're far away, you might be in another country, but you'd like to watch the service online, then you can go to my father's YouTube uh, channel or his Facebook page, Ted Shuttlesworth hyphen Faith Alive. And you can watch uh, the tent meeting there live online. We'd love to have you live online too. And those of you that are watching, if you've not done so yet, can I encourage you to pray about, consider partnering with Carolyn and me? You know, we're doing everything we can in the final moments of time to reach the lost. And you're a part of that as you sow seed. I don't know what you can do today. I don't know what God will lead you to do, but I want to encourage you to do something 
every, here's what I, I, I know in my spirit. Everybody can do something. And there's people that are doing something depending on where they are. Some people are doing something that's very large to them. Others, they're doing something that's very large where they're at. But everybody's at a different level. So whether that be $1,000 a month, whether that be $50 a month, do what the Lord has spoken to you to do. And watch how God will bless you as you do it. Um, I want to say this for every person that sows a seed in the month of July. I want to send you Brother Hagin's book, How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. No matter what you sow in the month of July, we're going to send you this book, How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. And once you've sown your seed at MiracleWord.com or on a digital platform, go to MiracleWord.com forward slash offer and claim that book because we want to get it into your hands and you can fill out the form and tell us where to send it. For those that are sowing $250 or more, we're going to send you the Blood Covenant by E.W. Kenyon. And those that are sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to include the Net Study Bible Full Notes Edition. And so I want to say again, thank you to all of our partners, all of the Victory Tribe. Um, you know, you guys know why I'm so excited. We've got the, the homecoming that's, that's coming up in October. And we want to see every one of our partners there. If you can make it, Jenna's going to be contacting you if she hasn't already to RSVP. And uh, it's Friday night and Saturday afternoon. Uh, revival service Friday night. And then we're going to have a brunch together uh, on Saturday. And I've got some huge things to share with you uh, that I'm so very excited about. So we want to see you there. And uh, let me say this before we go. Uh, Bible study made simple, students. Those of you that are joining us every single week in the Bible study, which this has been such an amazing course. Um, we have over 300 students that are studying the Bible with us every week. And man, it's been huge. I mean, like I'm getting messages from people saying like, I've been in church my whole life. I've never heard things like this taught. I've never heard this. I've never been taught this. If you'd like to join us for Bible study made simple, we're going to reopen the course in the fall and let new members in. And that's going to be taking place in October. And if you'd like to be put on the wait list so that you know immediately, because it doesn't stay open for long, but if you'd let, be able to know immediately when that takes place, go to bible.miracleword.com, bible.miracleword.com, sign up on the form and uh, you'll be put on the wait list. I think we have almost a hundred people waiting to get into the course uh, in October and uh, we'll let you know immediately. And when it opens, you can jump in. It's only $15 a month. Literally, we've made it as cheap as possible. $15 a month. You get four videos a month, one every week. And uh, so we did that to make it affordable so that people could be in there with us. We didn't want to make it expensive. We wanted people at any stage of life to be able to join this Bible study. But I'm telling you, it has been amazing. Right now, we're in the middle of a deep dive on the book of Galatians, and we're almost halfway through the book. It has been eye-opening for so many people, and uh, we want you to join us too. It's it's really, a, it's an amazing course, and then we have a private Facebook group where we can speak to one another, ask questions, interact. We do live question and answers, uh, all kinds of stuff like that, so it has really, really been effective, and I, I would love to see you there in the fall as well, so so jump on. I love you guys very much. And um, again, I'm going to be preaching tonight, seven o'clock under the tent. Would love to have you join me. I love you so much. And I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.